How's everybody doing? Okay, so let's just get rid of the elephant in the room for just, just get rid of this up front. The lights are supposed to come up. Your barefoot pastor is supposed to come out. And things are a little different. I have boots on today, so I'm totally breaking the mold today. Uh, I heard a hallelujah. That's pretty awesome. Um, so um, let me tell you why I'm here. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, we have planted a church in Cannon County. Now, we had a timetable, and God had a timetable. Our timetable was supposed to start around June or July. I mean, sorry, July and August. And God is up that timetable. We have merged with a church out there. And so that has started. Now, what happened was this. Um, the, the church was roughly 30 to 35 people. And uh, Josh is a senior pastor out there now. And over the course of three weeks, that church has jumped from 35 to 95 people. It's awesome. It's awesome. Praise God. So Josh had scheduled vacation thinking he had till July or August. So guess what? You guys get me for, for one weekend. Um, just to kind of give you an idea. <laughs> that was so bad. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> They know I'm nervous and my friends are trying to make me feel better. But um, <laughs> my name is Dave Ashworth, if, if you don't know. I, uh, my wife and I came here June of 2011. We were done with big church. We were really done with big church. <laughs> don't tell God you're done with big church. God has a sense of humor. And that's why we're here today. I um, volunteered roughly till about 2015. And uh, May of 2015, I came on full-time as a discipleship pastor here. I, I have some great life group leaders. I love that ministry. That ministry changes lives. Hospitality, I love my hospitality people. They're just incredible people. Uh, I oversee care team, parking team. I'm the pseudo-IT guy when we can't get anybody else. I wear a lot of different hats, basically. Um, if I could say anything to you, about the, about the team that works here. They love you. We love you. And, and, and we may not always get it right. We're a, we're a young team, but we try to make it right. We're human beings. Um, we love this church. We love this community. We love this city. And, and there is an idea and there is a hope that working with you that we can make the G name of Jesus known in this city that we can do this together. And every week that we come in and week in and week out as we do this, that's our heart. With that, we still like to play a couple of jokes on each other just to keep it interesting. So I'm gonna tell you a quick story. Um, I don't know if you've been in the back life group rooms or not, but one of the, the rooms has a workout dummy about waist up and don't go back there in the dark. It looks like someone's staring at you. It'll kind of creep you out a little bit. But... Um, Corey Tremble has started taking self-defense lessons. And so Corey Drake, we call him announcement guy. Um, Corey Drake had a poplar board he was done with. So we decided at lunch that, that Corey Tremble was going to break that board in half. Now, I don't know if you know much about wood. I, I'm, I'm a hobbyist at best when it comes to woodworking. But poplar is much more dense than pine, which is the normal wood they use to break boards with. And so, thanks to the magic of iPhone technology in slow motion, someone held the board as Corey attempted to break the board. Noticed I say attempted. <laughs> and so again, your, your pastor's not a wuss. He's, he's not. But poplar is not your first choice in breaking wood. So thanks to the slow motion technology, the audio was slowed down. So what you see is, and what you hear is, is, Oh, oh. <laughs> and, so, and so Corey goes back into his office after not breaking it, obviously, and uh, we, try to, we decide to play a joke on him. So they took the wood and they took a saw and they cut through three-fourths of the back of it. Now, Josh Brooker, who also takes self-defense, came up and he punches through the board and it looks normal and we send the video to Corey. Right? So you can guess what Corey said next. His next message was, 
get me another board. (laughs) So we had to rush back there and stop him before he broke his knuckles. So that's that's kind of what it's like working here. If you see Corey, ask him if he's broken any boards lately. You're welcome. So um, with that, let's get into the lesson here. Um, What Corey has talked about last week is in the middle of dark and confusing times, what lesson is God trying to teach us? In other words, we can get so focused on the horizontal that we forget the vertical, that we forget that God is there with us and that he's teaching us and he's intervening in our lives. We can forget that when we are so horizontally focused. Today, what we're gonna talk about is understanding the seasons of life. That when things are bad, God is not mad at you. They are seasons in life. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. And we have to understand that God orchestrates seasons in life for a reason and for a purpose. So with that, I'm going to pray because you guys are a little intimidating. This is my first time doing this. And we will get into Ruth chapter 2. Now keep in mind, this is Corey's lesson. I'm, this is what God gave Corey, and I'm going to add some things that God gave me. But if this is bad, it's my fault. But I just want you to know as we go through this, there's some reasons for that. And we want to talk about some of the things he put here and why. So let's pray. God, we just want to take a moment before I speak another word, God. I just want to make sure that your name is glorified in the text. And God, for every person here, I pray for a divine appointment. God, I pray that you would use this time, that we would walk away with something from this, and that God, we would use your word for your glory. And let that be evident in our lives. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible or the Bible app, uh, you can download, you can follow the notes, and uh, let's get into Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of land belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain amongst the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has remained from early morning until now, except that she rested a little in the shelter. So we have to talk about the proper time and place. There's two important facts of the story here that begins in chapter 2. There's the fact that the barley harvest is coming in. And there is this idea that the writer of Ruth understands that God is about to do something because at the end of chapter one, it says it was the beginning of the harvest. So you get this idea that the author is anticipating God's intervention. So Naomi, what we understand is is that Booth, Booth, Ruth chanced upon a, a relative that was affluent and influential. So now in this, we are introduced to Boaz. His name literally means, in the strength of the Lord, I trust. He's the other main character in Ruth. He is an older and highly respected man in Bethlehem. So in in last chapter, if you remember, uh, Ruth came to Naomi and said, your God will be my God. And we see this playing out in in the knowledge of Ruth in her life because she understands the, the values of the Jews. They have a reputation of of serving a God who is benevolent, especially to people who were vulnerable, who were orphaned, who were alien, who were a widow. So it's not that society was perfect. This is the time of the judges. But within that society, there was a small population of people that still chose to honor God. And just as Boaz and some of the Jews here are doing this, The question for us today is what are we known for? 
what is the church known for? Now, we can't ask ourselves. We have to ask people outside of the church. I have a friend of mine who was an atheist, and one of the things he said to me, he said, aren't churches known for shooting their wounded? Aren't churches known for their politics? And I was like, ouch. But the point is, is what are we known for? With Jesus making the ultimate sacrifice for us, shouldn't we be the most loving? Shouldn't we be the most forgiving? Shouldn't we be the most caring, the most long-suffering? And the question in this, are we honoring God? I'll have a moment with you. It's, it's kind of funny, but it was rough for me. Um, I used to get really anxious in traffic. I-24 was almost the death of my Christianity. It was bad. I'll be honest, my, my, my dad had anxiety towards it, and so he passed some of that on to me. But um, someone gave me the horrible advice to try to pray while I was driving. That doesn't work out because when you're trying to talk to God and at the same time you're talking to a Chevy in the fast lane doing 60 and a 70 on his phone sending a text message, that's not conducive for a prayer life. It's not. It didn't work for me. But over the course of time, what ended up happening is I started listening to sermons in my car. I started listening to the, book, the Bible on CD and all of a sudden, I was much less anxious. In fact, in one year of just the commute, I went through the New Testament 10 times on audio CD. It was amazing. God can do something in your commute, I promise. I'm living proof. And I had to take care of this. I had a Christ follower sticker on my car, right? I didn't want to be that guy, you know? That guy really loves Jesus. I'd see me gripping a steering wheel and my knuckles pale. Ugh. But for us, in the workplace, and I don't know where you work, with that boss that might not be a Christian, who might be a little unethical, who may treat you bad, what are you known for at your job? What about that coworker that's trying to get ahead of you and trying to show off to get something or, or take jobs from you or, or contracts from you? What is that... How, do you, how does that look for you in, in that scenario? Do you know that in those scenarios, we are still called to honor God? And let me say it to you this way. If, if you allow someone's poor conduct to create in you a poor response, you will never honor God that way. You will never honor God that way. But what we see in Boaz and, and, and the people with him is that they were men of honor, workers of honor. And Ruth, she's comforted by their honor. So she comes up to these people and she asks if she can glean, which literally means pick up the scraps as the harvesters are harvesting. Can she glean from what the harvesters were collecting as a recipient of charity? We as a church should be known as the servants of a gracious God before we're known for anything else. And so for Ruth, this would have been very difficult work. Again, it was the day of judges, so it was even dangerous work. Being a gleaner was not, it was not safe. It was a backbreaking labor. It's not something you would initially choose to do. But Ruth embraced the opportunity to provide for her and Naomi despite this potential risk, this harassment for her being a foreigner. And Ruth understood that hard work was an opportunity to honor God and that he would honor her diligence. Now listen, in a day and age of convenience, we're losing the idea of hard work. When our job may not be the job we really want, but it pays the bills. So when we go to our jobs and we do the bare minimum or we do just enough, who are we honoring? Do you know that Colossians 3.23 says you are supposed to work as if you're working for God and not for people? And guess what? Your focus has to change then when you truly embrace this. What type of service do you offer in your work? Ruth reminds us that, uh, to, that we need to honor God first and foremost and him alone. Now I'll tell you a story. I had a friend of mine. I used to be in IT work before I came here. And, and my friend, ultimately, he, uh, 
in the midst of it, and I was always, I hate to say this, but I was a Christ observer before I was a Christ follower, if you know what I mean. But at one point in my 20s, this man was radically saved. I mean, like, annoying Christian on fire, saved. And that was probably a testimony to my heart, not his. So the problem was this. When he went back to his job, his entire work ethic changed. He started working like he was working for God. And guess what happened? He exposed the laziness of all the other workers. And you know what they did? I'd like to tell you this was the great start to the story. They conspired together and they created a lion. They had him fired. And some of you are like, oh, great, Dave. Thanks for the advice. I like my job. But let me tell you something. He lost his job, but he kept his character. He kept his character. And you know what happened next? He, was given, he, he, was, he found another job that made more money. And those people noticed his work as he contracted out. And he was offered another job with more and another job with more. God honors us when we honor him. My friend is, is at this point, he's, he's at level below executive. And he takes care of his family and he honors God with his life. And this is what we see in Boaz. Because when we look at Ruth, we have to see God's providence. It says she happened to be in Boaz's land as if it's almost kind of inflection of of what God is doing here. It says, and Corey puts this in quotes, it says, Ruth chanced upon a section of land owned by Boaz who was from Elimelech's clan and related to Naomi. We see from Boaz's first response to his workers that he's a God-fearing man because he looks at them and he says, Lord, bless you. And, and there are things that we attribute in our, in our life to luck and chance as we consider God's providence. But consider for the moment that God may be leading you exactly where he wants you to be for blessing. It may not look like it. You may not understand it. You may don't know what he's doing, but you can trust him. And what do you think we do when we attribute that to chance? Oh my, how lucky I am. No, maybe God is working in your life and he deserves the glory for it and the thanks for it and the praise for it. Even if it's hard, we have to trust God for the outcome. So with Boaz, his relationship with God is the first thing we see. It's evident at work. And later we're going to see even in his personal life. And can we be honest for a minute? Just a minute. Sometimes what we do is we leave our spirituality in the church building. Sometimes we leave our spirituality in our prayer closets at home. Rather than taking our faith with us to work. Monday through Friday sometimes we live one way. Saturday and Sunday we decide to be spiritual again. That does not work. It doesn't work because the Spirit of God is with you every day you live. You cannot separate the two and imagine that God is pleased with your Christianity. That's not how that works. You see, our spiritual life is designed in such a way that our spirituality penetrates the words we say, the actions we take, the things that we don't say the places we go and the places we don't go. It is only the mystics who take spirituality and leave it spiritual. God has designed your spirituality to to penetrate your physical life so that it becomes a physical reality. We cannot leave it spiritual. God calls us to act out what we believe. And so in this, what we have to understand with, with Boaz He sees Ruth and he sees her working and and he's living this out in his life. So Boaz greets his workers and he looks out and he sees Ruth and he asks specifically, who is this young woman? Whose is she? This alludes to the fact that he is older because he calls her young and that he's asking what family she belongs to. So Boaz isn't asking because there's a romance here. He, he wants to be kind to her. He wants to be benevolent to her. 
and he wants to help a woman who is obviously struggling. And, and so Boaz, his servant responds and he says that Ruth is the young Moabite woman that came back with Naomi. He also said she's been gathering nonstop all day except for one break, just for one break. So look at the equation here. We have Ruth who works hard. We have Boaz who recognizes her work and then God who is honored by both. So what do the servants notice first about Ruth? They notice the fact that they notice her humility. They notice her work ethic. And there's something else here. They know her story. And this should be true for all of us. Everything in Ruth's life looks like she is trying to honor someone besides herself. Besides herself. Ruth's perspective should be the focus of every Christ follower. Every one of us should have this perspective. And it can't be contingent on the, on the, the uh, status of people around us. Let me give you an example for a second. Do you honor your parents? Dave, you don't know my parents. You don't know what they did to me. My, my dad hasn't been around for years. Why should I honor my parents? It's simple, right? God told me to. My response has nothing to do with their conduct. My response has everything to do with the fact that, uh, that God told me to do something and I'm going to do it. Do you honor your employer no matter how difficult they are? It's not, it has nothing to do with their conduct. I just need to honor my God because that is what he's calling me to do. Because when we honor them, we honor God because he is the one that's telling us to do these things. Next part. And then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, Why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, you have been so kind to me for you have comforted and encouraged your slave although I am not like one of your female servants. So Boaz is stepping up here. He is making sure that, that Ruth is safe. And he goes out to the men working in the fields and he tells them to make sure she's not harassed. And, and, and according to Jewish custom, Boaz greets Ruth from a cordial and respectful distance and tells her that she is free to gather grain near his female servants because of his new anti-sexual harassment policy. Now, why Corey wrote this, I'm not 100% sure, but I never imagined Boaz with a career in human resources. But he may have some options if he were alive today. Let's continue on. <laughs> Boaz, not so, he not only saw this as his role to protect Ruth, but also to provide for her through an offering uh, he offers her ample food and water so when she got tired and thirsty, even as she was working, that she would have sustenance. And hear me on this one. It is not lessening women's roles or being misogynistic to assume the role of protector and provider. One of the greatest cultural failures of today is men's lack of provision for women. Now I'm gonna talk about this for a second. Because, guys, I want to talk to you. 
Today, we're losing the idea of what it means to be a gentleman, what it means to be noble. And if we could have an honest moment for a second, men often treat women more like objects than they do people. And then men wonder why women don't trust them. Now look, I'm 47 years old, and I'm kind of an old soul. I'm a little old-fashioned, so please forgive me if I am to you. But I believe that, that men should treat women with respect, not because she's helpless, not because she is incapable, but as a man, I have an opportunity to show a woman that she is valuable, both to men and to God. I get that opportunity as a man. And now someone may say, I don't need a man to do that for me. Think beyond yourself for a second. Think about the woman whose father neglected her. What baggage is she carrying? Could she use affirmation from a man? What about the woman whose father abused her or hurt her? Men in our conduct, we have the opportunity to show women that God loves him. We do. This is not demoralizing or diminishing women for who they are. We just have the opportunity to be men. Let's go further with this. For every person in the room, do you realize that your mark for the kingdom of God is going to begin? It's going to begin by with how you treat people, even the people you don't get along with. Your mark for the kingdom of God begins with how you treat people. Is your life being influenced by the world around you? Or are you holding fast to the truth? When people see you, what do they see? Do they know that Jesus is the most important being in your life, leading you and guiding you? Or are you allowing what's normal to turn you? Jesus said it this way. He said, narrow is the gate that leads to life. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. What's he saying here? What he's saying is simply this, that what is normal is lost. So why should we try so hard to be normal as believers? Do they see the difference in you, just like Boaz in a time of the judges? Do, do they see the difference in you? Do they notice the love in you, the heart in you, the long-suffering in you, because Jesus is your Lord? Or do you allow what's normal to change you rather than devoting yourself to what is right? We have to choose. As believers, we have to choose. So in the time of the judges, Boaz chooses nobility over personal gain. And, and in this, God shapes Boaz into a man of honor. And for every person in this room, God will do the same thing for you if you, do the, if you respond likewise. And in this, Ruth is overwhelmed by Boaz. She bows down with her face to the ground and she asks, why are you so kind to notice me although I am a foreigner? And Boaz responds by telling her about how he heard of what she had done. Ruth already has a reputation for being a loving and hardworking daughter-in-law to Naomi. And so when an honorable person meets another honorable person, honor, garner, honor garners honor. So Boaz honors Ruth for her sacrifice and prays that God will do the same. The other reason he prays blessings on her is because she found refuge under the Lord's wings. And in a culture that demands respect without showing it, we must remember that God honors those that honor him and others first. Look at our society for a second. When we look at the commercials and business and the workplace, often what is set before us are the things that we can get whether it's a car, whether it's promotions, clothes, food, status, convenience, we see this every day. We are bombarded with it. It's our society. 
And as our society, we are fixated more on what we can get rather than what we can give. And if you don't believe me, we are so fixated on it that when someone does an extreme act of giving, it makes the news because what's normal is what we get. Calvin Coolidge, 30th president of the United States, he made a quote that I have held on to since I've heard it. He said, no person was ever honored for what he received. Honor has been the reward for what he gave. We have to understand that in the same way our Savior gave everything to save us, everything to save us. So as a response, we are called to give to honor him. So in this, in Boaz's honor, in his honoring of Ruth, Ruth is blown away that Boaz would treat her a foreigner from a different culture with the same respect and care as he would other female servants. Look, we live in tense times. Do we look at all people the way God looks at people? Can we go past the cultural differences and see what God sees? And I'm just going to be honest with you. There is no room in the gospel for racism or sexism. None. None. Paul says it this way. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And the reason that we could never be these things, it has to go back way before Paul's time. We have to go back to the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, it says that God made man in his image. So when we discriminate against someone, we discriminate against the image of God. When we harm someone or hurt someone, we hurt the image of God. When we neglect someone, we are neglecting the image of God when we neglect that person. Do you know that in the book of Revelations, do you know what it says? It says every nation, tribe, language, and tongue will be together before the throne of God. What are we going to do? Put our blinders up and say, oh my gosh, the Iraqis are here. No, we're not. We're not going to do that. It's not going to be about race. It's going to be about him. Look, we're one body. We are one church, one faith in Christ. All right, let's move on. I don't want to get too fired up on that one. Verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain amongst the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. So Boaz, his hospitality, it continues. He invites Ruth to sit down with him and the other employees, which would be the, the, uh, the reapers during mealtime. So no other gleaners, the people who are receiving charity, would have ever received this honor. And he also offers her food from his table, showing everyone that he was her protector. So she was given so much food that she had some left over. Now, the, the uh, Holman says 26 quarts of barley. Some of your translations may say an ephah. Now, I wanted to know what an ephah was, and I'm from the south, so I had to translate this. So imagine a Home Depot five-gallon bucket, a gallon of milk, and a half a gallon of orange juice. All of that full of grain. Now, then it made sense to me how much grain she got. I'm from Alabama. That's how things work. So, so in this, the leftovers, obviously, with that much grain, it fed Naomi as well. So not only was Ruth provided for, but Naomi was too. Because you see, when we are faithful, when we are faithful, others benefit. Others benefit. 
And after the meal, Ruth is permitted to gather grain like the other workers now instead of uh, someone receiving charity. And now she can bring home this large portion. But look, Boaz didn't just give her handouts, but an opportunity to prosper. And Because what, what we understand in this is that opportunity creates confidence. Boaz ensured that Ruth would be treated well and not embarrassed as she had the opportunity to earn food. And if she had just been given everything, she might not, it might not have meant as much to her. So when we walk with people and give them a chance to grow, we help create confidence and a healthy pride in them. Look, we should always give to the poor. Jesus said the poor will always be among you. But it takes more for us to to pick a person, to, to ask God to direct us to a person that we can invest in and lift up that we give them the ability to work and, to, and to, for their lives to change. It takes more from us to pour into someone that way. But if every person in here cho cho chose one person to help, we dramatically, just in one pass, have an impact on, on the culture here. But we are called to, to make that type of investment in people. All right, last part. She picked up the grain and went into town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Then she brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Then her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law about the men she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Ruth the Moabitess said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servant and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth comes home with her Home Depot bucket, gallon, no, I'm sorry, she came home with grain and Naomi notices that she's had a great day. So not only did Ruth have some leftovers for dinner, they had enough for several more meals. And Naomi's response is, may the Lord bless the man who noticed you. And Ruth let her know it was a man named Boaz. Now the plot starts to thicken here a little bit. Naomi starts to get excited. And this is important because if you remember in chapter one, Naomi said, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter because God's against me. God's mad at me is basically what she's saying. So I want to change my name to bitter. But now she is starting to see her situation with spiritual eyes. So Naomi praises Boaz because he's honored the dead, which what that means is that Boaz, Boaz has honored her, her husband who's passed away and her two sons who have passed away. And then she says he's honored the living, which would be Naomi and Ruth. She also mentions that Boaz is her relative and a family redeemer. Some of your translations may say a kinsman redeemer, but they mean the same thing. A family redeemer, he was a relative obligated to liberate family members from debt or slavery or to ensure her justice was done if someone was wronged. And so Naomi's having a Hallmark Channel moment. I won't tell you about how I feel about Hallmark Channel, but she's having a Hallmark Channel moment. She's kind of starting to play set up here in her mind. She's starting to see some hope. My wife, man, she is really good at this too. She sets, she does this setup thing. It's just, it's not, I'm not promoting a business here, I promise. It's just her nature. She goes, oh, you'd be good to talk to this one. That's how my wife works. But um, what I would tell you is, is, is that Naomi's starting to see this very similar light. Maybe I can get these two together. Of course, Ruth needs to be protected. So she talks with Ruth. She's trying to figure out how they can spend more time together. 
So Naomi, instead of being bitter like she was in the last chapter, she can start seeing her situation with spiritual eyes. Maybe God's doing something. Maybe he is doing something. Is there hope? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Now, Corey wrote this, but I agree with him wholeheartedly. I am not a believer in coincidence. And as we see the beginning of a romance, it doesn't seem like this would have much to do with God's cosmic plan. But what we're going to learn is God is always orchestrating something for the good of those who love him and his kingdom. And so we start to see a progression. We see that even in bad environments, God has a plan. Now hear me, this is not a prosperity lesson. This doesn't mean that life turns out exactly the way you want it to all the time. What it does mean that whatever you face, whatever it is that you face, you will never be forgotten or forsaken by God. Even if what you are walking through ends in death, you get to be with Jesus forever. You get to see him face to face. And our few decades on this planet pale in comparison to eternity. And that in the middle of our circumstances, are we looking? Are we watching? Are we looking for the lesson that God is trying to teach us? I'm going to say something to you that sounds a little bit difficult up front, but I have a reason for it. Stay with me through the whole thought. God cares more about the outcome of your character than he does your circumstance. God cares more about the outcome of your character than he does your circumstance. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about your circumstances. He cares immensely. But what, you, what you're going through is temporary. Who you are is eternal. Who you are is eternal. And God is not a God of chance, but intentional action that benefits us. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've been through, God is not out to get you. He is not here to condemn you. I hear so many Christians who think that God is mad at them. God is not here to condemn you. Condemnation and grace don't work together. We are living under the, the cross the very definition of grace given. You're going through a season, but it doesn't mean that God is mad at you. I have a friend of mine. Uh, this was, man, probably mid-20s, long time ago. But um, I was in IT at the time, and he literally was the nicest guy I had ever met in my life. And, and, and working with projects with him, I asked him if he was a Christian, and he said, well, I believe that, I believe that God, Jesus came. And I said, well, but what's that done to your life? I mean, does that mean anything else to you? And ultimately, his answer was no. And some people would debate whether or not he's saved. I'm not trying to go there. But I knew, no matter what, he needed more of God in his life. And I started praying for him. And I mean, I mean, and God forgive me, I should do this more. I pray for people, but for this, for this man who had such an impact on my life, not being a, a, a devout Christ follower like me, a Christ observer at one point, I started praying really hard for him to know God and to be saved. Be careful when you do that because God's going to make you do it. God's going to make you talk to him. So he put the two of us on a project together and he knew I needed help. So we were working 17 hours a day together. Boy, God knew I needed a lot of hours of help. It's like, God, uh, could we have done this in 10? Um, it, but over time, what had happened was his, he was already having problems with his marriage. His wife at the time left him. She charged $30,000 in credit card debt and left him with the bill. And so talk about somebody at the lowest of lows that was my friend. And, and, and I walked through that season with him. I finally got him to go to a Christmas service and, and he started coming periodically on the weekends and then God showed up in a miraculous way and he believed, like really believed. And I got to watch him get baptized. 
that he came to my life group and, and he met the woman there that he would marry. And he now has three kids and um, he loves God wholeheartedly today. Here's the point. We have to understand this because when, when he was $30,000 in credit card debt and his first wife had left him and I looked at him and said, hey, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He would have looked at me and said, really? Really? Because in this, we have to understand seasons. We have to understand seasons. And as we see the start of a life change for, for Naomi and Ruth, who have gone through this horrible loss, we have to remember that our troubles, they are not permanent. Our life's challenges are opportunities to learn how to believe in God in a deeper way. That when the distractions are done and all the other things that we would depend on when they're gone and when all that's left is you and God and he comes through, all of a sudden you have another reason to believe. Charles Spurgeon, he said it this way. He said, to trust God in the light is nothing. But trust him in the dark, that is faith. That is faith. And as Christians, we must understand seasons. Even in our afterlife, we are, what we are experiencing now is not forever. If what we are going through ends after we die, once we die, and we have to experience relief in the afterlife, God is still with you, not trying to condemn you. There are seasons of life. Paul says it this way. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. It's not in your notes. It says this. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now hear what Paul is saying and what he's not saying. He, he mentions light and momentary afflictions. He is not saying your problems aren't that big of a deal. He's saying they're hard, but compared to glory, the weight of glory, that glory is, is so wonderful. It is so glorious that even our deepest and most difficult problems are light compared to the joy that is coming before us. And we have to understand this in our life because for the believer, even if your troubles were to take your life, they can never take you from Jesus. They can never take you from Jesus. Now I'm gonna ask you a question. And when I ask it, the question is so simple, you're gonna be, you're gonna say yes up front, but stay through the whole thought with me. In the seasons of life that you are walking through, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Let me give you some scenarios. When all of a sudden you lose your job, do you trust him? If your wife and, and husband were to leave you, or maybe things aren't working in your marriage right now, do you trust him? when you, you're not sure whether or not you can pay your bills, do you trust him? And the word in the foyer is authentic, so I want to be real with you. There have been times in my life where I retreated to fear rather than faith. Where I had those moments in my life where I was afraid. Do you trust him? Seasons are going to come. Seasons are going to go. You might be going through something difficult now, but it's a season, and you have an eternal God who will never leave you and never forsake you. It's your character that lasts forever. Who are you allowing yourself to become in the seasons of life? Where is your focus because I promise you, seasons are going to change. Let's pray.
to all around us is communion. And, and the prayer team will be coming up. And we just want to take this moment with God. And if there is an area in your life where you know that God, that you, just, you can just say right now, God, I need to trust you more with this. What is that? What is that? There are people here who will pray with you. Because for me, I had to repent. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't trust you. And God, in, in this, he responded. He strengthened my faith, and I know that he will strengthen yours. God, in this moment, in this short time in prayer, God, I pray for every person in this room, whether it's a job or a bill or health, whatever the season is, a close friend or family, whatever the season is, God, we are reminded today that you are here. And God, today we pray that you would give us godly character godly character that when we go from this place that we don't leave our spirituality here but we walk out into Murfreesboro as believers wanting to honor you more than we any other person or even ourselves God we want to honor you and Lord we know that you'll honor that and in the seasons of life no matter what we face we know that as long as we keep that at our center God that you will bless us and that you will walk with us no matter what the situation is. God, give us the maturity in this. Lord, that we can come before you and say, God, more than I want answers, God, I want you. God, more than I want answers to my situation of why this is happening or, or what's going on, I may not get those answers, God, but I want you. And I pray today for each and every person in this room, that we take that step of faith, that we trust him more. Lord, we love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.